All right, today's scripture reading comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verse 1 through 3. This is God's word. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of all God stands forever. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. It's been a while, hasn't it? Um, I, I was uh, grateful that um, Pastor Sam was able to uh, give a three-part series, and uh, I, I listened to the first two. I, I wasn't able to listen to the third one yet, but I, I heard he did a great job. Yes? Yes? Good, good. Really encouraged to hear that. And um, Yeah, I think, I think he actually grew the church, you know, while I was gone, so... <laughs> uh, that's great to hear as well. Um, I wanted to introduce a couple of people who are here for the first time. Uh, Daniel Kim uh, visiting us. Daniel, where are you sitting? Just raise your hand for us. Sitting right over there. Let's give him a warm welcome. Uh, glad you can be with us today. And also we have uh, Subin Cho is with us. Subin, where are you sitting? Subin is, oh, over there. Let's also give Subin a warm welcome. All right, um, and happy Father's Day to all the dads here. You know, about a month ago before my vacation, I, I uh, dedicated a message to all the moms, right, on Mother's Day, uh, and it, you know, I was told it uh, led to a good number of fruitful discussions among couples, and so I know it wasn't an easy message to hear, but, um, you know, my purpose was to challenge and encourage all the women in the church at the time. And so today is Father's Day. I wanted to um, return the favor, shall we say. <laughs> I want to speak to all the, the, the men here, not just dads, but all the men. And that my, my intention today is to uh, challenge and encourage our men, okay? And uh, sisters, if you can understand that the message is for you as well. There is, there is a role for you to play in all this. And uh, we'll return to our Acts series uh, Next, next weekend, okay? Um, now, uh, much of what I'm going to say today will be an echo of what I heard from a sermon that was delivered uh, three years ago by a pastor named Toby Sumter, okay? And uh, the message left a deep impression upon my heart that I, I, I forwarded to Joyce and said, you got to listen to this message. Um, this is what's lacking in our culture today, and then I, I believe Joyce, I'm not sure if Caleb listened to it or not, but uh, our intention was to have him listen to it at some point, um, but he's into just playing games right now, so I don't know if he actually listened to it. Anyway, I'm hoping that most of you will find this message to be refreshing to hear, as it's really not something you will ever hear outside of the church, okay? And if you're a woman, okay, once again... Do not think that this message is not relevant to you because notice that in our passage today, we have a mom speaking to her son. That means, as a woman, you should know that you've been given a very important role in shaping the hearts of our boys and men, all right? The outline will be in three parts. Part one, the great revolt against God. I wanted to highlight just 
how foolish we are as people to uh, make an attempt uh, to reverse God's created order. It happens all around us, and uh, I, I wanted to kind of begin there. And then most of our time will be spent in part two and three today, okay? And, and the message uh, will be a little bit longer today, all right? Uh, I hope you can give me some, some grace because it is my first time back, and I, I do have a, a lot I want to say. But part two, uh, how men squander their strengths. Okay, and part three, how men are to use their strength, according to Jesus. All right, so let's uh, get into this. Uh, part one, the great revolt against God. Uh, to begin this message, I want to read something that a person named Mallory Millett wrote in 2014. Okay, that, that last name might sound familiar to some of you. Uh, Mallory has an older sister named Kate Millett, who passed away in 2017, not too long ago. Now, Kate Millett was a very influential and still remains to be influential uh, within the feminist movement, and she's most well-known for her book titled Sexual Politics, which you may have read if you ever took a women's studies course in college. Now, the main thesis of the book is this. Heterosexual marriage is the main cause of oppression throughout the world. Therefore, we must bring down heterosexual marriage in order to bring down every oppressive regime in the world. And so the point is to train incoming college freshmen to despise the Christian family and to despise Christian men or just men in general. So in this piece I'm about to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just an excerpt, uh, Mallory Millett, Kate's younger sister, describes what she witnessed during the early stages of the women's liberation movement. Okay, and you can easily find this online if you want. She writes, I was a young divorcee with a small child, and she was broken during this time because, you know, just, her life was a mess. At the urging of my sister, I relocated to New York City after spending years married to an American executive stationed in Southeast Asia. The marriage over, I was making a new life for my daughter and me, and Katie said, come to New York. We're making revolution. Some of us are starting the National Organization of Women, and you can be a part of it. I hadn't seen her for years. Although she had tormented me when we were youngsters, those memories were faint after my Asian traumas and the break of, of my marriage. I foolishly mistook her for sanctuary in a storm. It was 1969. It's quite a while ago. Okay, I was born in 72, so it was even before me. Kate invited me to join her for a gathering at the home of her friend, Lila Karp. They called the assemblage a consciousness-raising group a typical communist exercise, something practiced in Maoist China. We gathered at a large table as the chairperson opened the meeting with a back-and-forth recitation, like a litany, a type of prayer done in Catholic church. But now it was Marxism, the church of the left, mimicking religious practice. So here's how it went. Why are we here today, she asked. And the crowd shouts, to make revolution. What kind of revolution, she replied. The cultural revolution, they chanted. 
And how do we make cultural revolution, she demanded. By destroying the American family, they answered. And how do we destroy the American family, she came back. By destroying the American patriarch, they cried exuberantly. And how do we destroy the American patriarch, she replied. By taking away his power. And how do we do that? By destroying monogamy, they shouted. And how can we destroy monogamy? Their answer left me dumbstruck, breathless, disbelieving my ears. Was I on planet Earth? Who were these people? They shouted by promoting promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, and homosexuality. They proceeded with a long discussion on how to advance these goals by establishing the National Organization of Women. It was clear they desired nothing less than the utter deconstruction of Western society. The upshot was that the only way to do this was to invade every American institution. Everyone, every, every single thing must be permeated with the revolution, the media, the educational system, universities, high schools, K-12, school boards, then the judiciary, the legislatures, the executive branches, and even the library system was on their goal, on their list. It fell on my ears as a ludicrous scheme, as if they were a band of highly imaginative children planning a Brinks robbery. To me, at the time, it sounded silly. But now, in our day, right, it doesn't sound that silly anymore, does it? This is exactly what has been happening in our culture for many decades. And it's not a coincidence that promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, homosexuality have become completely normalized. It's not a coincidence that, that marriage has eroded, has be, been redefined by the cultural elites. It's because there have been organized and deliberate efforts to bring about a cultural revolution driven by our sinful and rebellious hearts against the Holy God. But in spite of all this, God is not surprised. Just like a young Mallory Millet, he too thinks of it as silly, but not for the same reasons. Mallory thought it was silly because she was naive and thought that they were planning to do the impossible. In contrast, God thinks of it as silly because he knows that though they may rebel against him, they will not be able to get away with it. God's word describes movements like this in Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up against me, essentially, it says. And he who sits in the heavens, we read, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, and kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so what we learn is that God laughs at such movements and such attempts to revolt against him. But he doesn't just laugh. He speaks to them firmly. And he warns us of judgment. Judgment will come if we refuse to turn away from our rebellious ways, it is made clear. That is the great revolt. God is not silent. He laughs, but he warns. Part two, I want to set the message up with that. Because that is what we're dealing with here. Part two, how men squander their strength. King Lemuel's mother says, by the way, we had young Lemuel sitting with us during 9 o'clock service, so it was quite interesting. <laughs> I think Hannah's with us today. I think, I think Hannah will recognize her voice in these verses, okay, because I know that uh, there's a lot, lot, lot going on in the whole household right now. And she, she often says, Lemuel, what are you doing, my son? But this is it. King Lemuel's mother says, what are you doing, my son? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. I have to say that this is not only speaking about avoiding adulterous relationships with other women. Okay? I mean, that, that, that's part of it for sure, since it was such a problem for kings back then. But there's more to it than that. And so let me, let me summarize it for you like this, okay? We men, we tend to squander our strength in the following two ways. Number one, by not taking threats seriously, okay? Number two, by dismissing the threat and then deferring our responsibility to others. We defer, okay? We defer, okay? Well, let's just, let, let, me, let's, let me have you decide instead, all right? And we defer because we know that if we really looked into a particular threat or a particular subject matter, it would require us to make some very hard decisions and take some difficult risks. And the coward in us says, well, let me just ignore the threat this time. Or let's just go with what everyone else is doing. Let me just choose the path of least resistance. That's our tendency. I think all our men would be able to resonate with that. But number one, let me, let me unpack uh, these two things a bit more, okay? Um, we tend to squander our strength, number one, by not taking threats seriously, okay? We, like, you know, we kind of shrug our shoulders. What's, what's the big deal about lust, you know? Who cares? And then we, we get kind of sucked into pornography, and it's like we kind of shrug our shoulders again. You know, everyone does. You know, what's the big deal? It's all, it's all over the place, you know? Uh, and, then, and then, you know... Uh, the, the sin compounds and it shapes our hearts and minds and we, we then find ourselves dabbling in more dangerous territory about to commit adultery, not just in our minds or hearts, but actual adultery. And then what happens is that our sins produce rotten fruit that draw us further and further away from the Lord. And Solomon is a good case study for this. Let me read from 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign wives, or many foreign women, rather, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord 
has said specifically to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Do not marry them, neither they shall with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. So Solomon, he ignored the threat. He didn't take it seriously. And so he clung to these women in love. And it says that he had 700 wives. And on top of that, 300 concubines. And just as the Lord said, his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, the gods that they worshipped. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And then, guess how this, this plays out? I mean, sin compounds, compounds, compounds. And Solomon ends up, in his later years, actually building temples and high places for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, and, and says he did for all of, he did this kind of thing for all of his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. So it's quite interesting. You know, Solomon's kingship began with a series of seemingly small compromises. You know, I, I'm the king. I need to marry other foreign women. It's, it's for national security purposes. Every, every nation does it, you know. It's for the peace of the land. It's for the people. Can't you see? I'm doing it for the people. And so he ends up not just marrying two, four, six. He marries 700 women. But does a marriage ever just end with an I do? No, marriage, as you know, those who are married, is just the beginning of a lifelong bond that leads to your energy and your strength being expended to preserve those bonds, which is why toward the end of his kingship, Solomon was devoting his strength, his time, to worthless building projects, erecting hundreds of temples to his wise pagan gods. How did he get there? Right? That's not something he planned on doing when he married these women, but he got to that point by making a series of small compromises and by not taking God's threats seriously. Solomon's example gives us a very clear picture, brothers, men, of how our strength can be given away. So every time we give away our energy, our care, our resources, our attention to something other than what God has called us to do, and we squander our strength away. We're wasting our strength. It's leaking in, in places that just are not worth it. Who do I blame when this happens? Who do I blame? Can you... Uh, Eliminate the, the reverb and such. Every time Xiong leaves the building, something like this happens. Xiong had to go, uh, I think, to his uncle's service, so he's not with us. But I'm going to shut this one off. All right. 
Another way we squander our strength away is by dismissing the threat and deferring our responsibility to others. You know, when, when we know that there are difficult decisions to be made regarding, just to give you a few examples, and this is fresh on my mind because I had to make these kind of decisions. When should we open up the church and to what degree, you know, or how about some of you? You had to make a decision at some point. When should I take my family to church? Should we mandate masks or not? You know, we men can either make a biblically informed decision and take responsibility for it, or we can defer to our wives, or we can defer to our local government, our governor, the great governor of Virginia. We can listen to him, or we can defer to the CDC so as to not cause any future headaches for ourselves. I mean, that would be the easy way out for any man or leader who's going to argue with the guy who says, well, you know, my wife said we should do it this way. I will argue with you. You know, I'm not saying that we can never defer anything to our wives or other authorities. Of course we can and we should, depending on the context. I mean, there are there are hundreds of decisions Joyce makes each day on my behalf because I've entrusted most of the work of managing the household to her. But brothers, men, this is what you need to understand. When God's word is clear, we as men need to stand our ground and choose not to compromise no matter how much pressure there is for us to choose the easy road. That's a moment in which you cannot defer the decision to others. In 1 Samuel 13, another helpful story, we read of King Saul who was commanded to wait for the prophet Samuel before going into war against the mighty Philistines. It wasn't going to be easy. It was not going to be an easy battle at all. And he was specifically told to wait seven days for the prophet Samuel because Samuel was going to come and he was going to offer a holy sacrifice unto the Lord and God was going to bless him. And they were going to, they were going to be victorious over the Philistines. But the soldiers, over the course of seven days, were becoming antsy and they were. Their hearts were being filled with fear. And so they were ready to flee. And so Saul grew impatient and chose to offer a sacrifice himself. So then Samuel shows up and says, Saul, what have you done? You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. And later in chapter 15, the, the famous verse is given. You all know this. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Think about what that verse means in that context, okay? 
God is not saying that a sacrifice was not necessary. But he's saying here that it was not Saul's place to offer such a sacrifice. Saul's responsibility was to obey God's clear commands. And the reason why I bring that example up is because oftentimes we men act like Saul, don't we? We try to appear godly by making a sacrifice in some form, but we choose the wrong kind of sacrifice. You know, we love to say things like, happy wife, what? Happy life. Stop pretending you don't know, okay? <laughs> Stop pretending you're clueless, you know? And, and it's like, it sounds so noble, you know, I'm just trying to please my wife here, you know? Defer, defer, just... Or we may say, I just want to give other people a chance to lead. That sounds so godly sometimes, doesn't it? I just want to, I just want to support people in the background, you know, defer, defer. I'm not being lazy, okay? I'm just a quiet supporter. I'm not a coward. I just don't want others to think that I'm a hater. And so you just keep your mouth shut. And no one... No one knows what you actually believe about anything. Always going with the flow. Toby Sumter writes, Many men cultivate countermeasures to their abdication and weakness. A man who does not rule his own house tries to make up for the emasculated feeling in his soul, and maybe he spends his weekends watching men beat each other up on UFC, or he plays at being brave by watching horror movies or football games. Or maybe he goes hunting or plays shoot 'em up video games or listens to thrash or metal music or engages in theological wrangling on the internet until 3 a.m. He cultivates a sort of masculine catharsis where he can feel manly for a few hours or a few days before going back to work where he gives his strength to women or effeminate men. Before going back home where he gives his strength to his wife or his kids even before going back to church where committees of mothering women are the puppet masters behind the stage, pulling the strings on the men. But of course, men who allow for this are being effeminate. They are not actually being strong for the good of their families, churches, and communities. Very sharp words. Brothers, men of God, you must have a backbone. You must not be spineless. I cannot see what's in your hearts, but I want to encourage you not to cover up your fear with words or actions that only appear to be godly in the eyes of others. Do not choose a wrong kind of sacrifice. Part three, how men are to use their strength according to Jesus. Let me give you a, just an example that might help us understand this a little better. Uh, so my older two, uh, they're here with us today. They, they attend Trinity Christian School, okay? Um, how can we afford to send our older two to Trinity Christian School? Well, the answer is we receive a lot of help. Okay, that's, that's how. Um, we cannot do it alone. But, you know, you would think that a Christian school would do a pretty good job training up young boys to become men or young girls to become women, but 
it's a struggle there as well, you know. And uh, one example that comes to mind is the fact that each year, every class, okay, like whether it's, I, I don't know how low it begins, but I know Caleb, he, you know, he just completed seventh grade. But every class, um, seventh and above, they have like class presidents, and I think the higher you get in your high school, like they have multiple other positions that you can sign up for, and you're running for a certain, you know, position um, of officership, and uh, it's meant to train, teach boys and girls to be leaders in some capacity, okay? Um, I'm not faulting the intent. The system, you know, virtually it's everywhere. Uh, it's, it's probably a healthy thing to have. But what bothered me was that I was looking into, like, who was running for what, and and who the current officers were, and I, I couldn't find a, a single male figure. Uh, all of them were girls at every level, in pretty much every position. I'm not exaggerating. And I, I was thinking, what are the faculty and staff at this school doing, right? I mean, don't they know that, that boys, young, young men need extra encouragement? Because our, our nature is to defer, to defer. You know, that, that's our sinful nature. That's our immaturity. We defer. We defer. So I had to have a talk with, uh, with Caleb, you know. Uh, Sela, she was already in a position already. <laughs> Most girls are just kind of, you know, it, it's like the, the, the school is dominated by women right now. Um, no joke. And so... Boys, they're having a hard time there. And so Joyce actually, she was the one who first talked to Caleb and said, you know, encouraging Caleb because, you know, she was very active in student government back in her day. Uh, I was never. Like I was, <laughs> but she, you know, and so she was trying to encourage Caleb. And Caleb just, you know, as a typical teenage boy would, sorry to say, moms, once your boy turns like 12, 13, they will begin to ignore you. <laughs> it's painful, okay? Uh, but that, that's their tendency. I'm not saying it's right. Uh, they should still respect their moms, but th their tendency is to ignore the moms. After the, after the 9 o'clock message, Pastor Jacob's like, Nolan is only 8, and he even now ignores Daphne. So uh, I think it, it may happen a little earlier for some of you, okay? But in my family, it's like 12, 13. Um, so Brace yourselves for that, right? So he, he ignored Joyce for the most part. He's like, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to. You know why? It's like useless. You know, it's a waste of time, you know? And so I was bothered. because I, I don't want him to be attending a school dominated by just girls and girls running the show. You know, don't call me sexist. This is, this is a serious problem, a lack of discipling men in a Christian school. And so I had a talk with Caleb and, um, I had to encourage him to kind of see the big picture, what the school is trying to do, and what he, how he should view himself, okay, in light of the big picture. And uh, I challenged him to be, be a leader, especially when other boys around him were deferring and deferring and deferring. And so, thankfully, he responded better. And this is the case again. Uh, once boys become young men, they will listen to their fathers better. Okay, so thank you, Kayla, for listening, and uh, that's an encouragement to all you, all you dads. You play in a very important role in raising young men 
in your homes. But see, that's the kind of difference you should be making in your own families and in your own communities. Because just as small compromises can lead to greater catastrophes in life, small acts of obedience such as this can lead to greater maturity and greater character and growth later on. One big reason why uh, there's so much gender confusion in our day, even at a place like Trinity Christian School, is because people have failed to see the beauty and glory in how God designed us to be uniquely male and female. Right? We try to just flatline everything. Like everything's equal. There's no distinction. And we fail to see the unique glory and beauty in maleness and in femaleness. They're different, but they're both beautiful. And we have forgotten to recognize the unique beauties of each. And so we just want to be like, no, you guys all pursue the same goals, do the same thing. You know, girls, just I want you to be as strong as the boys are. Try to be as fast as them. You know, try to fulfill all the, you know, positions they're filling. Stuff like that. That's that is not the right way to go. That's a mistake. Because God did not make us male and female so that we would compete against each other and who can be the strongest or who can wield the most power in our little societies, in our little schools, and later on in our little world. Now, this part of the message may not sit well with some of you, but please bear with me, okay? Bear, please, please be patient. Please keep an open mind because it, it shouldn't make sense to you in the end. The Bible actually uses the words strong and weak to differentiate between the two genders. Okay? But when used in this context, the term weak is not meant to be taken in a derogatory or demeaning way. Okay, that's where, that's where the women get tripped up. Strength and weakness when describing men and women are to be understood as complementary glories. I think that's a good expression. They're both beautiful. All right, that's to say glory is not just to be understood as something strong and mighty and powerful. Glory can also be delicate and fragile. I heard one pastor put it this way. Glory ascends and glory also descends. Glory shines, but glory also reflects. Glory empties, but glory also fills. Glory increases, but it also stoops. Glory ascends into Shekinah brilliance, but glory also descends into hell. A sun has one kind of glory and the moon has another kind of glory. And as you know, the moon is most glorious when it acts like the moon. To put this in our context today, we can say that glory bows, but glory also curtsies. You know, when a man tries to act like a woman and a woman like a man, they lose something beautiful. With that in mind, I should be able to say that the glory or beauty of women is in their delicate qualities or nature. Women who constantly pump iron 
and grow their arms to be as big as my thighs are actually not very attractive to most men. The Apostle Paul writes in one of his letters, act like men. And guess what he says right after? Act like men. Be strong. Be strong. He doesn't mean that women are not strong. In Proverbs 31, the woman the woman described there in her domain is very strong. But the Bible does teach that women are relatively weaker than men, and that's okay. And what else do you think it means when the Bible says that husbands are to honor their wives as the weaker vessel? Have you thought about that verse? What does it mean to honor someone who is weaker? You know, it, it, it could be confusing if you haven't thought about this, because in most areas of life, we are told to take advantage of weakness. You know, we're, we're told to exploit weakness. When you're playing sports, many of you love basketball or whatever, you know, you, you play a lot. You're supposed to identify the weakness in the other team and exploit it. That's how you win championships. That's how you win tournaments. That's part of the game. It's accepted as wise strategy. In the business world, it's the same. You're expected to identify the weakness of your competition and take advantage of it. Right? That's also understood to be acceptable. It's good business practice. It's a competitive world. But you're not to treat weakness in the same way when it comes to your personal relationships especially when talking about your spouse. It says we're to honor them. If we exploit or abuse our wives, then we are not honoring them. So then what kind of weakness is this that we're to honor? You know, it could be sort of a head-scratcher, right? What does this mean exactly? And so I think this analogy helps, right? This is not, I didn't make this up, I heard it somewhere. But think of a priceless vase, Okay? Or think of a delicate piece of jewelry. Think of weakness in that way. You know? Which is weaker, a sledgehammer or a vase? Which one are you to honor? Which is weaker, a stone wall or precious jewelry? The vase and jewelry are weaker, but it's a kind of weakness you know that you're supposed to honor, right? It's not like a roll of toilet paper where, that you can abuse and throw away. And so if you understand weakness in this way, you can explain this even to a child, even to your boy. And he will understand that weakness, as used in the Bible, is not meant to be demeaned or disparaged. There's glory, there's beauty in weakness. So how are men stronger than women practically speaking. Well, in general, men are physically stronger. But our strength is given in order to protect and serve women rather than to abuse them. And that's how we honor women. You know, men are supposed to be like the wall. The jewels are inside the castle. The castle walls are stronger, but the walls are there to protect the precious jewels. 
That's how we honor weakness. You know, when you're walking down the street with a woman, I hope you all do this, but you, you should be walking on the side of the street that is closer to the road so that you would die first if a drunk driver veers off the road and, and hits someone, that you would be the one to get hit, hit first. That's the way you honor weakness. In my home, I sleep next to the doorway so that if someone breaks in, I'm the first one to be stabbed. <laughs> or rather, I should say, I'm the first one to protect my, my wife, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to be killed. I hope I, hope I don't. Or how about this? As long as I am awake and healthy, I'm the one who wants to drive the family on road trips because I want to be primarily responsible for for my family's well-being. And so these are some practical ways that we're to honor those who are weaker than us. Don't get into a fight with your spouse, you know, who's the better driver, okay? That's not the point, okay? Um. Remember last time Mina and Uj, Uj and Mina were fighting over that and uh, it kind of got heated. Uh, the conclusion was Mina was a better driver, but you know, anyway, I digress. Whenever you see men taunting or abusing other women for their weakness, that just means that they don't understand why God made them strong to begin with and they haven't been properly discipled. Also, and here, here, I think this may be the more controversial part. It should not be, though, okay? So just, again, bear, bear with me. In general, men also tend to be not only physically stronger, but let me, let me put it this way, emotionally more stable, okay? That is a form of strength, but hear me out, okay, before you bite me. That is not meant to be a bad thing for either of the genders because the reason why you women can take better care of others, especially younger children, is precisely because God has given you a greater, a more rich emotional capacity, right, to sympathize, to express warmth, to express motherly care, which includes wanting to provide a safe place for your loved ones, that's who you are by nature. That's not a bad thing. But it also means that we as men see the world a bit differently than you. You know, where, where you tend to see fear and danger, we tend to see adventure and opportunity. And for us, that makes life worth living more. You know, we, we love to take risks. At least, men, you should be more willing to take risks than your wives. When I see men who are so risk averse, I'm like, man, <laughs> gotta smack that dude. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta take some risks sometimes, dude. You know. Peter says that women are Sarah's daughters if they do not give way to fear. Okay, now think about what what's being said there. Surely it's possible for a woman to to not give way to fear and to be courageous, but Peter is instructing women to essentially guard themselves from such a temptation, which which I take it to mean that, you know, there there is a tendency for women to to be 
paralyzed by fears, the, the dangers they see around them. And that makes perfect sense to me because I see these dynamics play out in my home all the time. My boys love to pick up sticks and fight. And Joyce is always like, be careful, be careful. And the boys are like, It's agitating to them. So, be careful. I, I confess, I've, I've done that too. Yeah. None of my girls would turn foam noodles into dangerous lightsabers, but my boys do, even my four year old. Right? And he swings it hard. Right? And he kicks hard too. He's a dangerous kid, he's pretty wild. You know, I'm not saying just kind of, you know, let your boy do whatever he wants to, but you have to in some way cultivate that side of your, your boys. You can't squash completely, right? In contrast, my seven-year-old girl cried the other day because I picked up a cicada like this and showed it to her. So here, see, it's not scary. I was, I was just joking. I was like, ah, right? And then as soon as, as, soon as he saw that, she was like, ah! She broke out in tears, so I, I couldn't help but to laugh. And I know that not all girls are like that, but it surprises no one to hear that my girl is afraid of cicadas. In some ways, I think we all expect girls to not like bugs. My seven-year-old, it's not just cicadas. She doesn't like any kind of bug. She has a special bug detector built into her brain. Like, it's like 20 feet away. It's like, there's a bug over there in the corner, and I can barely see it. Like, this tiny, there's a bug over there in the ceiling. Is it, like, how do you see that? She, she sees everything. And she will sometimes ask her four-year-old brother to kill these bugs for her. That's just one example. I'm telling you that the two genders are wired differently. Right? Husband, a wife may say, do you really have to go to war? Do you really have to risk your life for a noble cause? Do you really have to speak out in the workplace and risk our family's livelihood for the sake of the gospel? They might not put in those terms, but that's what essentially the message would boil down to. Brothers, men, when our women ask us to choose safety over something that may be more risky but carries with it some significance, we should not give them an eye roll and treat them with disdain. Rather, we should understand that it's part of their God-given nature. It's an important aspect of who they are as women. They balance us. And they make us whole. But, let me emphasize, we ought not to abdicate our God-given responsibilities by simply choosing to live in safety all the time when there are, there are really important battles to be fought and won everywhere around us. Because if we abdicate our responsibilities, that will result in giving away our strength to women 
and how they want to govern the world. And according to King Lemuel's mother, that is the downfall of homes, of churches, of kingdoms, and civilizations. Men, we have work to do. And I love the fact that these verses come from a mom. So I ask all the moms here the question, moms, are you training your boys to be strong and courageous? Or are you raising them to be passive and tame and harmless? And I ask that you would not raise your boys and girls in the same way. Boys and girls, men and women, are to complement one another. If women are called to use their strength to nurture life and to build healthy homes and to cultivate beauty, men are called to use their strength to be fighters and to protect and provide for others around them. Doesn't that do something in your heart, guys? That we are called to fight for things that matter in this world. We fight against nature to subdue it, right? We fight against our enemies to protect our homes and our country. We fight against the evil in our own hearts. And we fight because we know that it's our God-given responsibility to protect and provide for those whom we're responsible for. That should excite you if you're a man. That should energize you. So how have you been doing, men? Toby Sumter writes, part of the strength that God requires of men is the strength of repentance and course corrections. When men wake up and realize they have been sleeping on the job, when they have allowed themselves to be preoccupied with worthless things, things that don't matter, things that will fade away in the end, they must repent. They must take responsibility for the situation they have allowed to develop that they have created by their abdication. They must confess their sins, seek forgiveness, and begin to give their strength to what matters, to what will last in obedience to God. And so I call all of us, including me, this is a time for me to, to repent as well for my shortcomings, for my cowardliness, for my failure to see what really matters. Man, we have, we have to repent for our laziness and for allowing fear to paralyze us. When God called for Adam in the garden, Adam, where are you? Adam, what he should have done was he should have approached God and offered himself, saying, I will die. Please spare, spare my wife. Let me die on her behalf. I will be held responsible. Right? That would have been the proper use of his strength. That would have been the right sacrifice. But rather he chose to flee and then to later blame Eve for his own sin. And we know what Adam should have done by looking to what Jesus did for us on the cross. And what he did was something even greater because he took responsibility for something he wasn't even guilty for. He did not flee. He did not defer defer responsibility to, to another. Rather, he willingly obeyed his father's will. He was the man Adam was not. 
And because he did not give his strength to others, because he boldly faced death and defeated it, guess what? We, it's everyone, but especially men, we no longer need to fear death, nor do we need to be afraid of the Kate Millets of the world or what they can do to us. This world does not belong to them. This world belongs to Jesus. Psalm chapter 2 ends like this. Ask of me and I will give you the nations and the ends of the earth your possession. This means, brothers and sisters, that all the earth has already been given to King Jesus. And whatever is his becomes our inheritance since we are sons and daughters of the living God. And that reality should give you all the confidence you need to stand up and, and take responsibility for the things that matter in your homes and in your church and in your communities, in your schools, and in your country. So may you consider that. May you take that to heart. And may your response be humble obedience before God. Let's pray together. Dear Father, it is in our nature to revolt against you. One way we do so is by rejecting and, and reversing your creation order. And in the process we sin and we lead others astray from you. Forgive us and forgive me, forgive our men for abdicating our God-given responsibility to lead, to, to love, to protect, and to provide for those you've entrusted to us. Forgive us for giving our strength to women and for occupying our hearts and minds and things that may make us feel better about ourselves, but in the end really don't matter to you. Forgive us for making unholy sacrifices in life so that we may appear holy before others and so that we could avoid situations, perhaps, that would require us to make difficult decisions or bear weightier responsibilities. These are our failures, God. But we thank you that though we are weak, we can be strong in Christ. We thank you that we can place our trust and hope in the one who did not abdicate his responsibility, but who bore the cross for our sake so that we could freely live as men and women of God. And it's in his name we pray, amen.